Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Connecticut has a lot of nicknames, but Corrupticate really sticks, thanks to a number of former politicians. Today, where we live, we focus on the latest corruption story in our state. It involves a Bridgeport politician, one of several from the Park City who've been arrested on federal corruption charges. State Senator Dennis Bradley, a Democrat and an attorney, has been accused of allegedly attempting to defraud nearly $180,000 from the state's clean elections program. Yeah, I can picture a lot of you shaking your heads right about now. Coming up, we'll talk about this story with longtime Bridgeport reporter Brian Lockhart from Hearst, Connecticut Media. We'll also talk to a Bridgeport resident who leads a grassroots community action group. Jameem Davis is co-director of Bridgeport Generation Now. We'll hear from her in a little bit. Now, are you a Bridgeport resident? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. First up on Zoom is Brian Lockhart, a reporter covering Bridgeport for the Connecticut Post and Hearst, Connecticut newspapers. Brian, welcome back to the show. Hi, good morning, Lucy. So the latest corruption story again involving State Senator Dennis Bradley. Tell us about the charges he's facing and when did these alleged crimes take place? So he was arrested last week along with his campaign manager. Um, and these allegedly took place in March of 2018. He had had a party at that time where he raised some money for his then his ultimately successful state Senate bid that year. And allegedly, um, he basically kept details of this party and where how he funded it, how he helped to fund it, and also how much he raised from the State Elections Enforcement Commission. They are the folks that he would have applied to in order to obtain um, clean public campaign financing, a grant for his primary and then a subsequent grant for his general election in 2018. And so um, basically he's, he's alleged to have purposefully misled them in terms of um, the party being essentially a campaign fundraiser because there are, are lots of hoops that candidates have to go through, have to jump through when they apply for the public financing. And so that's what got him in trouble. So the indictment, the indictment accuses him of filing false documents to obtain that primary grant, Brian? Yes. Um, so basically he is alleged to have used personal funds for the party and also to have falsified records of the donations that he received that night in order to cover it up, basically to, to he, he at the time was arguing that it was a party put on by his law firm where he happened to announce that he was running for state Senate. And um, the SEC is very strict in terms of the rules that lawmakers and candidates have to follow in order to um, apply for the clean 
the clean um, public financing grants. We'll be talking more about that program uh, coming up later with the Connecticut Mirror's Mark Pazniokas. But I understand, in addition to these federal charges, he's also Bradley. Dennis Bradley's under investigation by the State Elections Board for a separate complaint. Can you talk about that related to text messages? Yeah, that complaint stems back to some text messages that Bradley allegedly sent back in 2017. So at that time, he was contemplating his 2018 run for state Senate. And um, there was a um, Democratic candidate for mayor of Stratford. Now, Bradley's district includes a portion of Stratford. So allegedly in those texts, Bradley committed to contributing $5,000 to this mayoral candidate's campaign in exchange for a handful of um, of things he was looking for, one of which would be some sort of a job should she be elected. Um, she wanted him to campaign. She wanted her to campaign with him in sections of Stratford. Um, but in particular, he wanted the job because he said in the text he wanted to kind of get to know the people. And this was obviously something that he felt he needed to do in order to have a successful Senate campaign. Now it needs to be, I need to be clear that these text messages, the folks that he was interacting with, this particular mayoral candidate and some of her supporters, they rebuffed him. They scolded him for what they thought was an inappropriate text. This um, this complaint was filed by his opponent for the Senate primary, a gentleman named Aaron Turner. So Aaron Turner faced off with Dennis Bradley in 2018 in the Democratic State Senate primary. Turner lost Bradley and um, Turner filed this complaint and this complaint is still pending with the SEC. Now you've written about Dennis Bradley for people outside of the Bridgeport area who may not know a lot about him. Your story compared him to Cory Booker. So tell us who is Dennis Bradley? Where did he come from? Well, I should, I should say he compared himself to Cory Cory Booker. Um, So he showed up in Bridgeport around the late 2000s, 2008, 2009, he came from Massachusetts. And he pretty quickly got involved in local politics. He volunteered for um, Congressman Jim Himes, for a pair of Congressman Jim Himes campaigns. And then he was hired as a staffer in one of Himes' local offices. So he was doing outreach, um, particularly immigrant outreach in Bridgeport and also in Stanford. Um, started his law firm around that time as well, and then quickly began trying to run for office. So he ran unsuccessfully for state rep in 2014. He did win a seat on the school board in 2015, and he became chairman of the school board in Bridgeport from 15 through 16. And he remained on the school board for about four years. In the meantime, he tried to run for state senate in 2016 and lost. And then he finally won um, his legislative seat, his current Senate seat in 2018. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he's he's an interesting guy because he is, for all intents and purposes, an outsider. He's not born and raised in Bridgeport. And yet there are a lot of longtime veteran politicians in the city who really like him. He He's 37. They feel he's this, you know, he has a lot of potential. Um, a lot of people I interviewed last week, they said, you know, he really is he really does on the face of it seem to be the perfect candidate polished well-dressed well-spoken good-looking he's an attorney he's bilingual um 
And there are folks who really felt that he would sort of bridge the divide as a candidate um, in Bridgeport between Hispanic and black residents. And potentially that would make him a very good mayoral candidate in a couple of years in, in 2023. Uh, Brian, I want you to build more on that when we talk about uh, the way uh, Bridgeport works, uh, the political machine, a lot of insiders that dictate, you know, who's uh, you know, going to be running and who you should support. What is it about Dennis Bradley that as an outsider, he was able to, to be elected and, you know, also held some pretty prominent uh, positions in the legislature until uh, these charges came out and now he's yeah. uh, lost those positions. Tell us more about him. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it is what I said that he's just, he's, he has on the face of it, everything that it takes to be a very good candidate. And I think that's what attracted a lot of folks to him. Um, you know, he's he's an affable guy. He's a little quirky. Some people I know find him a bit arrogant in how he carries himself. Um, but you know, they're always they're always looking for sort of the next the next up and coming politician in Bridgeport. And and it does make him u- unique because he was not born and raised here, and yet folks have gravitated to him. And um, you know, I mean, sort of. We I was talking last week. I mean, certainly this is a big blow to his political career but as we have seen a few times in bridgeport you can actually get convicted of federal charges and still come back and revive your political career um, mayor joe ganham did it um bernie newton did it he's a he's a fallen state legislate legislator who um, is currently serving on the city council so i wouldn't say it's the end of dennis bradley's political career in bridgeport although it certainly um, does hurt it for the time being. So talk us through the, the reaction from the Bridgeport community. Let's talk about uh, what you've heard, uh, not only from his supporters, but his detractors uh, when the news came out that he was arrested. Sure. Um, so there are certainly people who, you know, as you mentioned, when you said, you know, there's probably people in the audience rolling their eyes. There are certainly people in Bridgeport who are just feeling exasperated by this. Um, you know, Dennis was arrested and his campaign manager, Jessica Martinez, they were arrested last Tuesday. Um, last early, Around that same time last week, our former police chief and our former personnel director were reporting to federal prison um, to begin their sentences for the last federal corruption scandal that Bridgeport weathered, um, which was the two of them helped the former police chief cheat to get his job back in 2018. So they got caught and they got sent to prison. And the days that, you know, I, I believe um, Chief went to prison on Monday. So the following day, Dennis Bradley gets arrested, unrelated charges, but it does get exasperated, exasperating for people and they get frustrated with this. Um, there are certainly people that do not like Dennis Bradley. Um, they think he's an opportunist. You know, if you notice when I was talking about his um, campaigns, he ran for state rep in 2014, lost ran for the school board in 2015, won, and then in 2016 ran for state Senate. So there were some folks who were frustrated with him back then because he ran for the school board and then immediately the following year turned his sights back to running for the legislature. So there are people who think he's an opportunist and and certainly feel like he's getting what he deserves. There are other people who really like him. As I said, they think he could have been um, a potential mayoral contender in 2023. And one of the things that's interesting is there is this 
and I'm not saying this is correct or not, but it's just a feeling that some people have. I know that some folks in the community, they look at him um, and they look at, for example, Ernie Newton, who got in trouble with the SEC um, a few years ago as well. He weathered that scandal. That was the second scandal for Mr. Newton. But Mr. Newton is black. Um, Dennis, I believe, is is black and Hispanic. And so there are some folks in Bridgeport I talked to last week who feel like these folks are being targeted, that minority politicians are being targeted. And so they're not angry with Dennis Bradley. They're angry with the SEC. They're angry with the federal authorities. They're angry with the charges that have been brought against him. Um, they feel that they're being singled out. They feel that these are unfair. And so there's sort of a, they feel that there is some sort of a racial component. You mentioned Mayor Gannon. What has Mayor Gannon said about uh, this arrest? He's been pretty quiet about it. He did not issue any sort of a statement on the day of the arrests. And we finally got him to issue a statement last Wednesday. Um, but there there wasn't much to it. He He claimed that essentially claimed that this was a surprise that his administration, you know, he, his office, he was not aware of this. They were just learning about it like everyone else. And which honestly is, is, is very difficult to believe um, because at least since early 2020 in the weeks prior to the pandemic, um, there were lots of rumors going around about a grand jury having convened to look um at Dennis Bradley. So this has actually been out there for a while. There were folks in the community, folks involved in politics in Bridgeport, who I understand were being interviewed by the grand jury over the course of last year. Um, so it's it's hard to believe that it's hard to believe that the mayor and his top aides weren't aware that something was brewing. Um, I, I do think it, it it can be kind of difficult for him because. Um, he went through his own corruption scandal during his first administration. Um, he ran the city from 91 until 2003. He was convicted in 2003. Of, I believe it was 16 counts of um, federal corruption, and he was reelected in 2015. I do think sometimes it can be difficult for him to wade in on this kind of stuff because to a certain extent, he doesn't necessarily have the moral authority that a politician that has not been convicted of corruption has. So I think whenever whenever something like this happens in Bridgeport, it, it can be kind of tough for the mayor to issue really tough statements because um, there's certainly going to be some folks who are going to look to his past and say, well, you were convicted of corruption too. So I think he's, I think for him, his policy is he's just going to try and stay out of it and avoid wading into the, wading into the issue too much. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. With us on Zoom, Brian Lockhart, reporter covering Bridgeport for the Connecticut Post and Hearst, Connecticut newspapers, as we learn more about the corruption charges that State Senator Dennis Bradley faces. Coming up, we hear from a community leader about what this latest scandal involving a Bridgeport politician means for the city. Now, we did reach out to Dennis Bradley's lawyer, James Glasser, in a statement. Uh, he wrote, on behalf of Senator Bradley and myself, I would simply say, we look forward to meeting the charges in court. We have great confidence in our judicial system and look forward to vindication at the close of the process. You can join our conversation. We'll be back after a short break. Here's the number 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. 
Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're talking about Bridgeport today after another politician from the city, State Senator Dennis Bradley, faces federal corruption charges. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. With us on Zoom is Brian Lockhart, a longtime reporter covering Bridgeport for the Connecticut Post and Hearst, Connecticut newspapers. Now, a few years ago, some residents formed a social action network to encourage the Bridgeport community to be engaged in local politics and to fight for change, especially clean elections in Connecticut's largest city. Joining us now on Zoom is Jameem Davis. She's co-director of Bridgeport Generation Now. That's a nonpartisan grassroots group that promotes civic engagement. Jameem, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So your group promotes good governance. What was your reaction when uh, Senator Bradley was arrested the other week? Um, well, for me, I am born and raised in Bridgeport and have been actively, um, you know, working with Bridgeport Generation now since 2017. And honestly, I was heartbroken for our city. We have suffered under um, systemic corruption uh, for way too long, and um, it was a setback for our city. So I was um, heartbroken um, for what has happened and also angry. Um, um, people seem to think um, that they can come to Bridgeport and do whatever they want. It feels like the wild, wild west in politics here um, where people come to extract um, from the community, take what they want, what they need, don't follow the rules and then claim victim and um, and 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 face no consequences or very little consequences. So just completely angry, <laughs> saddened. Beyond the arrest of Senator Bradley, the former chair of Bridgeport School Board also indicted Jessica Martinez, and she was Bradley's campaign treasurer. So what's your reaction to that when I think about, um, you know, a lot of uh, what's been going on in the city of Bridgeport over the years, looking at how the school board even functions, and you have somebody that's also been indicted related to this story. Yeah, well, you know, what is the big problem here is that um, because of systemic corruption, we, people who are elected, don't really truly get the support of the community when they're elected. So we have a very strong political class who just picks and chooses who they want 
to be in these seats and they rig elections through absentee ballot abuse and fraud. I'm not saying that that's exactly what happened with Jessica Martinez, but it certainly is uh, the cult. There's a culture of corruption here. Um, and unfortunately uh, with her, you know, um, I, I don't know what's going on with her personally, but it didn't seem like she was a stable person to be in that seat in the first place. Um, she, uh, just a few years ago, there was also a scandal around her and uh, some drug abuse, things of that nature. And she um, has always been very, very, very uh, supportive of Dennis Bradley. So, um, you know, so much so that you can't, people can't see anymore, like when, when people do the wrong thing, you know, it's almost like a, a mob mentality, you know, um, or cultish, it's very cultish, you know, uh, when someone does something that they are absolutely not supposed to do, there's the political class doesn't hold them accountable to anyone. And they say things like, oh, he's a good guy, or she's a good guy, or she's a good woman, you know, just got caught up when, in fact, these people are making choices. And it's their responsibility to um, uh, uphold uh, their uh, responsibilities and their duty to the people of Bridgeport. Um, to me, when you talk about the political class, does that also include some voters who reelect uh, individuals like uh, Mayor Ganim, who went to prison on corruption charges? I believe Ernie Newton also, uh, after uh, his uh, his crime, uh, after he served time, was reelected to, to city council. If I'm getting that right, and I'm just wondering how you can, if you can talk a little bit about um, how voters continue to give second chances to people who abuse the public trust. I think voters aren't to blame in this case. I think um, we are presented with choices and we are presented with those choices based on um, the power that is concentrated in the Democratic Town Committee. And the Democratic Town Committee is made up of people who essentially um, are captured by the system, you know, of patronage. And so they put forth people. And then um, because we are a majority democratic city, you know, lots of people, not just in Bridgeport, but all around the country kind of vote the party line because that's what people think that they should do. Um, and in fact, that on top of the absentee ballot abuse that happens here really ensures that the people of Bridgeport and our will is not um, um, is 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 thwarted, right? So, and in, for instance, when Marilyn Moore ran for mayor, she won at the polls. The majority of the people in the city who were voting actually did want her. Um, and then we found out that this absentee ballot machine, you know, like ramped up, and that is how she lost by. 200 and something votes. So um, I would push back and say it's not really uh, the voters fault. It is the political class. It is political patronage and it is straight up corruption. You mentioned uh, Senator Marilyn Moore. I just wanted to be transparent. Were you able you were the one, you also worked on her campaign uh, when she was trying to run for mayor? Yes, I did. I worked. Um, I came onto her campaign in the middle of that campaign. Yes, I did. 
I wanted to get uh, Brian Lockhart to give us some context, because a couple times, Jameem, you've mentioned the absentee ballot issue and the strong uh, Democratic uh, political machine in the city. So, Brian, uh, give us some more context on what Jameem is talking about. Uh, well, and, you know, it's, it is interesting because after what every everything that we went through last year, probably absentee ballots are probably more popular than ever. Um in Connecticut and and certainly around the country. But yeah, there's been several examples in Bridgeport over the years of politicians getting in trouble for absentee ballot abuses and, um, you know, essentially turning out the vote through absentee ballots. And for years that has been viewed, frankly, not just in Bridgeport, but in a lot of the larger cities as a way to guarantee a certain amount of votes. So you know, campaigns know this stuff inside and out. So if they're losing on the machines or they're not doing well on the in-person voting, they know that they have a whole bunch of absentee votes banked. And certainly this came to the forefront in 2019 in the very bitter um, mayoral contest between incumbent Joe Gannam and state Senator Marilyn Moore, where she did very well on the voting machines, on the in-person voting during that year's mayoral primary, but Ganim ultimately prevailed using absentee ballots. And that is another um, state elections enforcement commission investigation, which is still pending. I understand, I understand it's still pending that it was slowed down by the pandemic, um, but they were looking into allegations of absentee ballot abuses um, by, by the, um, the Ganim campaign at that time. So certainly, but certainly after, you know, after absentee ballot balloting became more popular last year, um, I do think some folks are rethinking it. As Jameem said, you know, there, there's absentee balloting and then there's there's abusing the absentee ballot system. So there is still cause for concern and to keep an eye out on those things. Um, you know, I will just say one other thing is while we're talking about Marilyn Moore, I mean, Marilyn Moore is sort of considered the reform candidate in Bridgeport, the good government candidate in Bridgeport. She has been absolutely silent on Dennis Bradley's arrest. So she's his co-senator. We have two senators from Bridgeport, Marilyn Moore and Dennis Bradley, and she has been silent. We have we have tried by phone. We have tried in person to interview her about her thoughts on him, and she just will not make any comments about it, which I do think is interesting because, again, she is the good government candidate. So you would think of all the Bridgeport politicians, she would be um, sort of fearless and commenting on this situation, but she's not. Jameem, what do you think about that, uh, not hearing from Senator Moore? Even, I'm just wondering what you've heard from other people in power that represent uh, Bridgeport, uh, whether it's in the city or at the Connecticut General Assembly. I mean, what's their take? Another scandal uh, that um, doesn't make Bridgeport look very good to the rest of our state, and that can be problematic because it's it's been an ongoing thing. Yeah, I certainly can't speak for Marilyn Moore or anyone else. Um, what I can say is that generally, you know, it's a feeling of, oh, no, here we go again. And how are we going to, like, fix this? You know, um, I don't think that that is an easy question to answer. Well, it, it, well, there certainly is no quick fix, right? So um, it's going to take um, efforts not just in Bridgeport, but outside of Bridgeport uh, to bring more attention to the problem we have here, which is, you know, we're basically, um, our democracy has been uh, gutted 
Um, and so we have to work inside of Bridgeport, like groups like mine, Bridgeport Generation Now, and our affiliate Bridgeport Generation Now Votes, you know, um, have to do our work. Uh, we have to go deeper. We have to talk about the issues here. And we have to um, insist that our municipality and our state and federal laws um, address the concerns of the of, of Bridgeport residents, especially around this issue. Jameem Davis is co-director of Bridgeport Generation Now here on Where We Live, as well as Brian Lockhart, who's a reporter covering Bridgeport for the Connecticut Post and Hearst, Connecticut newspapers. As we talk about uh, this latest politician from the Bridgeport area, State Senator Dennis Bradley, who faces federal corruption charges allegedly trying to defraud the state's clean elections fund uh, to help candidates run. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WM. PR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Jameem, you, t- you told me that you can't speak for people like Senator Moore and others, but are you hearing from people that are defending uh, Dennis Bradley? Uh, Brian sharing earlier that um, some residents that he's spoken with see uh, Dennis Bradley's story as is the feds are targeting him because of his race. What do you think about that? Yeah, I have heard from people in the political class who are defending uh, Dennis Bradley. Um, you know, because they like him. You know, that is also another problem here. If you like someone, then, um, you know, they can do no wrong. Um, I think that, um, you know, what Dennis Bradley has allegedly done um, is is outrageous. Um, And I am disappointed that people refuse to see uh, when our... um, local politicians and that our representatives um, abuse our trust. And Dennis Bradley needs to take responsibility for that um, and take responsibility um, uh, for just, uh, you know, and put it this way, Dennis Bradley needs to take responsibility for what he has done. Um, The political class here needs to take responsibility for um, their behavior in that they will always, you know, like claim that something um, is one way when it really is another, you know, they circle around people that they like um, instead of holding people accountable. And I think that that is a disservice to the people of Bridgeport. And Lucy, if I could just jump in quick, Um, talk in, in terms of, you know, Dennis Bradley um, being accountable. I mean, we should know that. So the SEC did withhold a campaign grant from him. So he did back in 2018 when this was all being investigated, when this initial kickoff party, this launch party was being investigated. He did obtain his initial primary campaign grant from the SEC. He was subsequently, however, denied a campaign grant for that fall's general election. And I interviewed Mr. Bradley at the time, and looking back at it, he was not apologetic. Um, He threatened to sue the SEC at that particular time. So publicly, publicly at that time, he was very combative over this very issue with the SEC and claiming that he had done nothing wrong and that he deserved, he deserved this, um, this grant. So I just felt I should 
I should mention that. You can join our conversation as we continue to talk about this latest corruption story in our state, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Jimmy, I wanted to go back to your story about, uh, you mentioned that you had moved away. You can't, you're from Bridgeport, you moved away, you came back. But to talk more about what Bridgeport stands to lose when, again, there's another political scandal. Um, we think about the challenges that your city faces and the real need for strong leadership. Mm-hmm. Well, what our city loses um, is opportunity. So there's um, economic opportunity. People don't come to Bridgeport uh, to start businesses and to invest in Bridgeport because um People do not trust uh, our city government. They don't trust our elected officials. We lose socially, like people leave Bridgeport because um, our school system is not funded equitably. You know, um, our streets are not paved um, in the East End. It's often very dirty. You know, we lose a lot economically, socially, you know, people, don't invest. Our downtown right now looks like a ghost town most of the time. And I live here. I live right downtown on Main Street. And there's not that much going on. Businesses come or um, little um, entrepreneurs have startups, and then they're not able to uh, sustain those startups, because there's always issues with like permits, city government, you know, our reputation is just so bad and so unequitable. And there's this sense of, you know, you've got to pay to play um, here in Bridgeport that keeps people away. So unless and until we fix our corruption problem, which is real, our image and our image, Bridgeport is going to stay stagnant. Mm. Brian, again, you've covered uh, the city of Bridgeport for some time. Uh, you know, what's the, the responsibility when we think about how the delegation advocates for the city of Bridgeport, the Bridgeport delegation? How does the governor's office and the state capitol view the city of Bridgeport? Well, you know, the unfortunate thing is that I think, so when Mayor Ganim was reelected in 2015, there were certainly, I think there was certainly a lot of concern. I mean, there was a big effort at that time by Democrats, by some Democrats, I should say, not just in Bridgeport, but around the state to try and keep him from winning reelection. Um, the last few years, I think the economy in Bridgeport has gotten better. Things have gotten better. I mean, part, part of that is that the city has been so behind in terms of economic, has kind of been left behind in terms of economic development for so long that it's one of um, the last places in Connecticut where businesses are discovering it, developers are discovering it, investors are discovering it. And so it has that going for it. Um, But when you have an issue like this and when you have a situation like we mentioned with the police chief, um, Jameem is right. I think that that does, it, it can, it potentially can scare people off. Um, I think you sort of, I think it's just this feeling of sort of being unsettled. It's kind of like, well, do I want to invest in this city? How do I know, how do I know another shoe isn't going to drop in another couple months? How do I know another politician or, um, official isn't going to be, isn't going to be charged with something in the next few months? Um, 
I mean, I, you know, but I think, look, it's the biggest city in the state. Um, it's, it's a democratic city. The governor has to work with it. The legislature has to work with it. And I, and I do think they want to. I mean, there are a lot of good people in Bridgeport. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, there's, there's um, you know, there are a lot of good people in Bridgeport trying their best and doing their best. And, and I think it's, it's sort of just this feeling of onward and upward, you know, um, okay, we just got to get through this. You know, I know the legislative delegation in these final days, um, they're frustrated because Mr. Bradley was sort of an unre- unreliable vote last week. He wasn't showing up and they had not heard from him if he was going to actually show up for votes. Um, he did make a return appearance Thursday evening, I believe. Um, so that uncertainty was frustrating for them, but, but otherwise for them, you know, they've said it's kind of nose to the grindstone. They're just going to keep doing their work and keep doing their job. Um, the governor's not going to ignore Bridgeport. This, this could be sort of a setback behind the scenes in terms of things Bradley was working on. Um, but the governor certainly is not going to ignore Bridgeport. I wanted to end with you, Jameem Davis. Uh, you know, we talked about the challenges and again, the work that Bridgeport Generation now has been doing. Uh, what would you say to young people who might be thinking of leaving uh, your city uh, to convince them that uh, they should stay and help make the changes that, that you're talking about? Well, we're the only, um, we're the people we've been waiting for. You know, the city is not going to change uh, on its own. And we have to take responsibility for that change. And we've got to build um, enough power to do that. So Bridgeport Generation Now, um, you know, builds power using the tools of community organizing to dismantle systemic corruption and systemic racism so that we can build uh, the just, equitable, and livable uh, Bridgeport that we all know is possible. And so to young people, um, I say, we need you. Um, we need you here. Um, and, and you know, it, it's going to be like, you know, it's all hands on deck, basically. Um, no one's going to fix Bridgeport. No one's coming to save us. We have to do the work ourselves. Jameem Davis, it's been a pleasure to talk with you, co-director of Bridgeport Generation Now. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. Also, Brian Lockhart, reporter covering Bridgeport for the Connecticut Post and Hearst, Connecticut newspapers. Brian, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. After the break, we're going to learn more about the program that Senator Dennis Bradley is alleged to have defrauded. You can join us too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We've been learning about the corruption charges against State Senator Dennis Bradley and how this latest story affects the city of Bridgeport. Bradley is the third elected official from the city to face federal corruption charges in recent years. Ironically, as we heard Brian Lockhart mention from the Connecticut Post, his arrest came during the same week the former city police chief, Armando Perez, started his federal prison sentence. After he and the city's former personnel director, David Dunn, also in 
federal prison, pled guilty last October to conspiracy to commit wire fraud and making a false statement to the FBI. The two men participated in a nine-month conspiracy to deceive the city by secretly rigging the selection process for a permanent Bridgeport chief. Uh, Joining us now on Zoom is Mark Pazniokas. He's Capitol Bureau Chief for the Connecticut Mirror. We want to talk more about this clean elections program. Mark, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Good morning. So the irony here is that Senator Bradley allegedly misused funds or misled uh, to get funds from the Citizens Election Fund. It was an anti-corruption clean elections measure. Can you give us some background on the program? Sure. The program was created in 2005, uh, largely in reaction to the resignation and eventual um, guilty plea in federal court by Governor Rowland. Um, one of the ironies is that uh, his uh, his scandal had really nothing to do with uh, campaign finance. It was a bid rigging uh, scandal uh, involving a state contractor. But, you know, in 2005, uh, Roland's successor, Jody Rell, wanted to make a strong statement against the influence of state contractors, the influence of big money in general in campaigns. And advocates who have really been working for years on campaign finance reform, you know, seize the opportunity. And together with a Republican governor, uh, they did pass what at the time was was really a groundbreaking program to uh, provide the public financing of campaigns for statewide uh, state office as well as state legislative races. Has it been a successful program, Mark, would you say? You know, there's uh, you could have a great debate on that. Um, <laughs> it is a very popular program. Um, really, almost every legislative candidate in a competitive race uses the public financing system. And one of the benefits of that clearly has been um, independence from lobbyists. Uh, Prior to the public financing program, uh, really an alarming amount of money was raised in Hartford from people and interest, uh, people who lobby uh, the the, uh, legislature and and interest uh, before the legislature. Uh, there was also a reliance on uh, state legislative leadership packs. And, and one consequence of that is it would undermine the independence of uh, rank and file legislators from time to time. So I think most people would say this is a very healthy change in Connecticut politics. One of the other benefits is the, the underpinnings of this program is you have to raise money. Uh, to qualify, you have to raise anywhere between, uh, you can take contributions of anywhere between $5, and originally it was 100 now it's the maximum is $270 to qualify. And it, you have to raise it, most of it, in your district. So again, that pushed these legislators away from being uh, reliant on lobbyists in Hartford to going back to their districts and doing grassroots organizing. And I think almost everybody would say that is a very healthy thing. Um, At the statewide level, unfortunately, um, this public financing program exists in a world where uh, it's in conflict with uh, federal laws and case law, which really undermine it. And what I'm talking about is is two things. One is the uh, unlimited flow of independent expenditure money, or you know, you hear them referred to as super PACs. Um, and 
so you have people operating in two very different worlds. You can have a publicly financed candidate candidate for governor who can accept a maximum of uh, $270, but yet that same candidate can be supported by somebody who spends a million dollars on an independent expenditure uh, group. Uh, and then the the other conflict is between state and federal law, and this go and, and ironically this goes back to Jody Rell's original concern about influence of state contractors. State contractors are barred from contributing to state campaigns. However, federal law allows them to contribute, and the state parties operate under state and federal law, and every statewide election coincides with a federal election. You know, people are running for Congress when people are running for governor and and state rep and so forth. And one consequence of that is federal law requires that any money that the state parties expend to turn out the vote that benefits congressional candidates, U.S. Senate candidates, you got to go by the federal rules. And guess what? There's no ban on state contractor money. Um, for the, for these federal uh, rules. And there was a huge conflict in Governor Rowland's 2014 re-election. The Connecticut State Party uh, ended up paying a $325,000 settlement because there was an allegation that there was uh, the money flowed back and forth between the state and federal accounts. And a lot of the federal money, which was raised by state contractors, benefited Governor Malloy. Governor Malloy was not directly implicated, but the state party paid um, what was then and, and remains the record $325,000 to settle that case. Oh, we just have a few minutes left, uh, Mark. I wanted to focus in on this uh, Senator uh, Bradley story. Do you think it's unusual for the feds to get involved with the state elections enforcement issue? How do you read it? Yes, there there is a piece that is missing in the in the public uh, right now is the question of why this became federal. This was a significant election inform election enforcement issue, uh, as your previous guest talked about. There were complaints filed, elections enforcement investigated, and they denied Senator Bradley his general election grant. Um, so, yeah, that's the question of why did this become federal? Were they looking at something else in Bridgeport? Um, you know, this this comes at a time when there were other things going on in Bridgeport, um, which you also talked about with, uh, you know, the police chief and whatnot. But, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you read the indictment and uh, I mean, there is clearly, as alleged, a federal jurisdiction in wire fraud. But, you know, anytime you use sort of, a, you know, a text or anything like that, and if you're doing anything illegal, um, you are subjecting yourself to a federal, you know, wire fraud uh, allegation or, or charge. But yeah, there's there was nothing in that amendment that jumped. I'm sorry, indictment that jumped out at me and said, "Aha, this is why the feds were looking at it." This was not referred to uh, federal authorities by the Elections Enforcement Commission. They were doing their own investigation, and their typical path in these things, they when they refer something for criminal investigation, it's to the chief state's attorney's office. It's not to the feds. 
So bottom line is, I don't know why this became a, a federal issue. Um, I would push back uh, at the suggestion that this is uh, racial. The feds certainly have a strong history in Connecticut of uh, investigating public corruption involving elected officials. Uh, you, know, you know, we have several mayors, all white, a governor. Uh, they really upended a congressional campaign a couple of years ago. Uh, it didn't directly involve the candidate, um, but it did involve this campaign. So I, I would be hard pressed to see a pattern of, of racial animus in, in how the feds pick their targets. Um, I'm guessing there was something in Bridgeport they were looking at and whether they thought this would connect to it. You know, that's just something we can only speculate about at this point. But again, when you read that indictment, it it reads like a state elections enforcement uh, case, not not really a, a big federal corruption case. So I guess that means we'll stay tuned to see what else comes out of Bridgeport in the next uh, few weeks and months. I want to thank Mark Pazniokis, who's covered a lot of these corruption stories in Connecticut uh, in his time as a politics reporter. He's Capitol Bureau Chief for the Connecticut Mirror. Mark, thank you for your time today. We really appreciate it. And thank you for having me. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show was produced by Carmen Baskoff. Robin Doyen Aiken was on the phones today. Kat Pastor is our technical producer. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to have Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro on the show. President Biden has released his federal budget proposal. She now holds the chairmanship of the House Appropriations Committee. We'll talk with her tomorrow and take your questions, too.